The story of a flood wiping out most of humanity is not unique to the Hebrew Bible and Noah's Ark. Parallel stories exist in cultures of the ancient Near East that precede the one from Genesis we just heard. For example, in the Babylonian epic of Gilgamesh, Utnapishtim, the survivor of that flood, tells the story of a divinely ordained flood that is survived by a few who construct the vessel that ultimately lands on a mountain. How they send out birds to help determine the flood's end. And how they offer sacrifices after surviving. Just like Noah. Similar stories exist in other cultures like the epic of Atrahasis of Assyrian origin. In fact, flood stories are peppered throughout time and across continents from Native American tribes to Asia and Africa. Theories abound as to whether some global flood really did occur. Some scientists posit that a meteor hit Earth millennia ago, causing worldwide tsunamis. Others believe that glaciers melting at the end of the last ice age 7,000 years ago may have caused places like the Mediterranean Sea to overflow and rush outward with a force 200 times greater than Niagara Falls. When it reached the Black Sea, that body of water was instantly transformed from fresh water to salt water. And it's believed that the Black Sea is what overflowed onto the land where Noah lived. But I digress. What seems clear is that tales of a global flood are part of our human story. And as with many ancient accounts, there has to be a reason why such disaster is visited upon humanity. In Noah's case, God was so fed up with the sinfulness of humankind that only a devastating flood would satisfy God's anger. I'm reminded of Travis Bickle, the main character in the movie Taxi Driver, who said, Someday a real rain will come and wash all this scum off the streets. After the flood subsides, God looks around with what almost seems like divine regret. In a few verses before today's passage, it says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor of the sacrifice, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. And to my ear, at least, what God says to Noah in today's reading sounds like a hurried assurance that this won't happen again. As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. It sounds like even God is shocked at the devastation that has been wrought. Why would God do this? Why wipe out all but a remnant of every living species in creation? I mean, I can see how some conservative Christians have used a story like the flood to justify blaming today's natural disasters or the AIDS epidemic on the supposed sinfulness of certain groups. 
Hurricane Katrina, for example, was blamed on the sexual permissiveness of New Orleans. But honestly, I think the story of Noah is half myth, half truth. Its writer needed to impose a moral moral justification upon the unfathomable loss because the devastation had to make sense somehow. To me, all the other stories in the Old Testament of God's wrath and murderous rage have a similar purpose. They ask the question, why did this happen to us? And the Bible's answer is almost always, because we sinned, so God punished us. It is hard to reconcile that view of God with the God of unconditional love, I do believe is true. These two gods cannot readily coexist in my heart. So I choose the God of love and receive the story of Noah and others like it as half myth, but myth that bursts forth from the real pain of people who cannot comprehend such loss in their lives. In some ways, I wish we had modern equivalents of these myths because I'd really like an explanation for tragedies like the latest school shooting, this one in Parkland, Florida, that left 17 people dead. I wouldn't blame God for such terrible events, but actually, I do think these shootings happen because of our own sinfulness. That somehow as a nation and a government, we are willing to sacrifice the lives of countless children for the sake of the freedom to carry assault weapons. There is a sickness of sin in our collective soul, and such horrible tragedies are the manifestation of that wickedness. Responding to this latest heartbreak in a post to Facebook, William, my husband, wrote the following. But to understand the references, you need to know that Moloch was a Canaanite god to whom children were actually sacrificed, and that Mammon is the personification of greed. William wrote, This nation is morally rotten to the core, a nation that sanctimoniously tosses its children to Moloch, a nation that sacrifices the elderly, the sick, the poor, the retired, the disadvantaged, the indigent, in short, all those whom God loves, to mammon, filthy mammon, a nation that still lynches blacks, though undercover now, and targets other minorities, a nation that cares not for community, all for sake of selfish individualism. I am sick at heart over this immoral morass. The election of our president was not the cause, but merely the symptom of this nation's malignant sickness. Time for national repentance. But I doubt the nation has the intelligence nor the honesty to undertake such. However, one must harbor hope. In other words, it's not God's fault. It's us. Not the devil either. It's us. After the Sandy Hook shooting five years ago, James, a friend who is also my barber, 
posted the following to Facebook. No disrespect to all of you believers, but as an atheist, I neither need to blame God or be angry at him for things that are messed up out in the world. Things like this happen all the time, every day, somewhere out there. You only fixate on things when they seem closer to your life, like this shooting. But they happen endlessly. You don't have to blame the devil or God. It's the humans here. We sometimes turn on our own. But we can also do great acts of kindness and love. The dark side of our nature is in all of us, but so is the good. Even this boy who killed all those people was a little child once. We all have the love in us. It's there even in the most lowly of us. I don't believe in evil. It's only the absence of love. From today's Gospel reading, the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. The Greek for the word drove is ekbala, ekbala, and it's a violent movement. Jesus is shot out into the desert. That same word ekbala forms our word ballistics. In the book that we're reading for our Lenten series, A Season for the Spirit, Martin L. Smith writes, The Spirit is wind driving us towards places where we will be exposed to liberating truth. As a nation, we are in that wilderness of hard truth. But the liberating part has yet to manifest. That's because we have given in to the temptation of numbness and indifference. And I am right there too. Only a few days ago I said to William, you know, sometimes I wish we could just ignore everyone else's suffering. That I could just turn off the news, spend all my free time traveling and reading 19th century fiction, preach easy and unchallenging sermons, and focus only on my own pleasure and self-fulfillment. Isn't that what some other people do? Why can't we? In The Last Temptation of Christ, another Martin Scorsese movie, a little girl appears to Jesus on the cross and says she's his guardian angel. She says, stop this. God doesn't really want you to die. He wants you to live, to fall in love and enjoy life and its comforts. If you're willing, I can help you get down from that cross. He does. And Jesus then goes on to enjoy a happy life with Mary Magdalene, has kids, works as a carpenter, and grows old. Only then, on his deathbed, and with the help of Judas Iscariot, of all people, only then does Jesus realize that that little girl was actually Satan, and that he gave in to the temptation of normalcy, of a normal life. As a result, there is no salvation for humanity, no ushering in of God's kingdom on earth. Jesus then finds his way back to Golgotha from his deathbed, and his final words in the movie from the cross are spoken with joy. It is accomplished. If there is to be any salvation in our desperate times, any liberating truth, 
it will not come from living out our lives in normalcy and indifference. Unlike Noah, we do not have the luxury of blaming God for the destruction we inflict upon ourselves. And while the temptation to turn away and pretend nothing is happening is great, to give in to it is ultimately to choose despair. As God did with Noah, we must find a way to make a covenant and a vow that this will never be allowed to happen again if we can help it. In this season of Lent, God calls us to reflect honestly on our sins and shortcomings. That can include the ways in which we fall short as a society. Let us pray fervently and act bravely to ensure that such devastation, such shootings will one day cease to occur. Then our rainbows in the sky will look like smiling children going to school each day without the fear of being shot.